It's been great to be going through Matthew chapter 5. What an incredible uh, passage to be reading together as this man on a mountain has been speaking to the crowds. So you might want to turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be dipping in and out and referring to that as we go. But before we read, as we prepare to continue, let's just pray again and uh, thank God for the, the blessing of being together and ask that he would speak to us as we've just prayed through that song. Lord Jesus, thank you that you deeply love each person sitting in this room, each person tuning in. Thank you that you know us completely. Thank you that you see the the broken bitness and the, and the scars. And you see the, the ways that you are drawing us by the work of your loving Holy Spirit to be changed and renewed and restored. And we thank you that as we open your word this morning, we're not coming as people who are sorted, righteous, good people coming brazenly into your presence. But actually, we're people who have acknowledged we need a rescue, who know we can't come to you by ourselves, who've realized that you're the rescuer, that you've died for us so that we could be cleaned and forgiven. And it's on the basis of your death and resurrection, Lord Jesus, that we come to you this morning, asking that you would speak to us and that you would shape us and that you would draw us deeper into your embrace. So lead us this morning, we pray, as we read your word together. Show us who you are, Lord Jesus, and what you want to do in our lives by your loving touch. We worship you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who was dead and who is alive, the Lord Jesus. We worship you. Amen. Amen. Well, we have been going through this passage and we've been seeing this man on a mountain and he has been speaking to the crowds. And in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5, we find that Jesus, well, it's all the scene is being set. Now, when Jesus, this is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. That is how this whole passage has begun. This man on a mountain, Jesus. And as he's spoken, he's been reframing, redefining righteousness. You see, the Pharisees, the people who were supposed to know, the people who everyone would respect from a distance with their flowing robes and, and noisy prayers, well, the Pharisees had made it about style, what it looks like from the outside. They'd made it about tradition. They'd made it about form. But actually, if you were to get close, what was going on inside, in their hearts, well, it was... It was sinister. It was death-gripped. Jesus referred to them as, as 
whitewashed tombs. It was about death. It was about them controlling things. It was an expression of power. They claimed to be continuing what, G, what Moses had begun, another man on a mountain hundreds of years before. The Pharisees were saying what we do is, well, it's directly linked to what Moses said when he brought the law down and introduced um, God's revelation um, to his people. But this man on the mountain, these centuries later, Jesus has been challenging their assumptions and their concepts. And he is, he's moving their thoughts and this whole conversation about what it is to be right before God, he's moving it from being about ritual to instead being about the state of a person's heart. And Jesus told stories, stories like the, the father who has two lost sons and he writes the Pharisees the self-righteous people into that story and he writes the the ordinary outsiders the people who know they're getting things wrong into the story and as the story unfolds everyone's sitting on the edge of their seat because they think they know who should be the one who's invited inside but to their shock it's the it's the guy who knows he needs a rescue the guy whose efforts have all fallen through his fingers. The guy who everyone can see has made a mess of it and then comes back and says, I'm sorry. Whereas people who thought they were on the inside all the time, the people who thought they were the goodies, well, Jesus' story challenges them. And at the end of his story, they're still on the outside. But of course, the big loving invitation for them is that they would be drawn in too because he loves them too. But something about their hearts is so hard that they are not responsive to the God who loves them and calls them. You see, Jesus said things like, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. And he was saying that to speak into the crowds. He wanted the, the people who thought they were sorted, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious professionals, if you like, he wanted them to, to humble themselves so that God could touch their hearts. And he wanted those who could see themselves that they were the ordinary, the outsiders, the ones who couldn't make it to God if they tried. He wanted them to see, well, they're actually in the right place to receive a rescue from the God who's come to the rescue in the person of Jesus. And so in chapter 5, verse 20, you could turn over the page if you've got the same layout as mine. Verse 20, Jesus says this, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus is saying to them there, that religious, professional, outside looking good righteousness, it's not good enough. You're not going to get to be connected with God if you're just putting on a show and trying to look right from the outside. When Moses had spoken all those hundreds of years before, this fire had been on the mountain and smoke and, and it was terrifying or awe, um, awe striking. There was a great majesty 
And Jesus, in this speech from the mountain now, these hundreds of years later, is taking words that Moses said, and he's saying, you have heard it said, but I tell you, you've heard it said, but I tell you, it has been said, but I tell you, again and again, six times, he takes something that has been said, that has come through the, through the law, that through Moses, and then he says, but I tell you, he's not contradicting what Moses says, but he is saying, look, you religious professionals have taken what Moses said and you have built this on it and built this on it and built this on it and made for yourself a framework where you look good on the outside. But we're going to go back to the source, back to what was originally said. And if you look, if you look there, then actually what Moses was saying was God's intention was to change the heart that you'd be a different people from the inside out, not just a show on the outside. And he quotes the Old Testament law, but then he says, but I tell you. And as Jesus does this, he's not just some rabbi, teacher, guru, musing in an orchard about, um, about big things. But the way he's speaking is that he is taking what has been said with authority from God in the past. And now he, with the same authority, is speaking to the people. This is another claim by Jesus to have the authority of God himself. And so as this is unfolded again and again, Jesus is speaking as God among us. He's claiming to be able to speak with divine authority as he continues these claims that he is God here. And he's showing how these official law interpreters have corrupted and twisted the original authors, his own original intention. And no more so than in today's passage. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus has been speaking about adultery. And he shifts in that passage from external actions into the, the way that the heart is the source of what we actually do. And he's said... Verse 28, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Because he's wanting to bring it back to what is going on in our hearts, not just what the external action is. And the situation at this moment in history is bad. These religious people, a religious man, might see somebody that he is attracted to, and then marry her for a while. Then, using um, something that was permitted in the Old Testament, would write her a certificate of divorce and send her away. And in Matthew 19, well, the Pharisees, in their own words, said that they would send her away for any and every reason. Just send her away. So, might sleep with her for a while and then send her away. And then he'd find a new wife and then divorce her too in this way of swapping and abusing those who were vulnerable in the society. And as the people 
behaved like this, the religious leaders behaved like this, it was destroying women, it was destroying children, it was destroying their culture, their society. And it was so prevalent at that time that in Matthew 19, you might want to look it up later in verse 10 of Matthew 19, well, the disciples, it is so radical that Jesus is saying that it's not okay to do this kind of thing, that they're saying, well, who, whoever would get married? So even those people who have been spending their lives with Jesus, this was surprising and extreme because everyone had just got used to it. You just were with somebody for a while, then got rid of them. With somebody else for a while, and then got rid of them. And they said, Lord, it's better not to marry, surely, in chapter, 10, chapter 19, verse 10. So that's the context of this passage. And at Oak Hall Church, we try to just work through systematically um, different long passages. And it means we hit bits that perhaps sometimes we wouldn't choose to speak about. So if you're turning up here today and you're thinking, they, they choose funny passages to speak on. Well, it's just because we're working through and here we are. We've landed in to chapter 5, verse 31. And let's read now the passage for today. It's verse 31 and 32. Chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must gift her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. There's three reasons that we're going to think about this morning as to, as to why this matters. And we're all in different moments of our lives with different stories up to this point. And God deeply loves you and he wants to draw you and me closer to him as we explore these reasons. But the three reasons are this that we're going to think about this morning. First is protection. The first is protection. The second is creation. Creation. And the third is revelation. Revelation. So first of all, why is Jesus saying these things to these people at this moment? Well, it's to do with protection, first of all. So there are these abusive, power-hungry, controlling men who effectively swapping wives who are really just having short-term relationships and yet using the Old Testament law to excuse and what they're doing. There are women being abused. There are children finding their own lives broken as, um, as they are born and then they are kicked out, connected with the now divorced wife and this is going on in the name of God what a blasphemous thing to be happening that these religious leaders should be doing such a thing and this behavior is bringing hurt and brokenness and why does divorce matter to God well it's because he loves people and he wants there to be protection for those who are being drawn into a marriage relationship. He wants these who are in this moment in history 
um, women who are being drawn into these relationships and then spat out and then taken up by some other religious leader and then spat out. He wants for them to be protected. It was never um, his intention that this kind of behavior would be going on. Now, the, the Pharisees weren't lying. It is true that Moses had permitted them to write a certificate of divorce and send somebody away. And the reason Jesus explains more in Matthew 19 was that the, the people's hearts were hard. And people were doing something similar to this, bringing them in to their home and then kicking them out, bringing them in, kicking them out. And then even, even then, killing that person, because accusing them of adultery when they'd been kicked out of the house. And so Moses said that there had to be a certificate of divorce written, that the person who was divorcing them couldn't then bring them back again, and that this was now the protection for the person who had been kicked out of the home. It wasn't what God had intended, but it was to protect um, those who were being um, divorced. But now this ancient law was being abused and these certificates were being written out left, right and center. And again, well, Jesus was speaking out to protect those who were being abused in this way. It's interesting in Matthew 19, after Jesus has been speaking more extensively about divorce, he turns to the children and he says, let the children come to me. You know, some of us in this room, we're dear friends, many of us, and some of us have, have been through this. We've been through divorce with the rejection and the brokenness that it, that it, it writes into our hearts. And here we're hearing Jesus speaking out against this because he longs to protect some of us, we have seen our parents go through this and the heartbreak of that. And almost in the same breath as Jesus has been speaking about divorce and the brokenness it brings to adults, he also knows about the brokenness it brings to children. And lovingly he speaks out, let the little children come to me. It might be that you're an adult now, but still the pain of what went on back then is marring your heart. And Jesus lovingly says, he calls to you to come to him for restoration. So the first reason is protection. The second reason is creation. And we're going to kind of rewind now and have a kind of a bit of a scan through, through scriptures. You see, divorce is a big deal because marriage is a big deal. And marriage is a big deal because humanity is a big deal. And humanity is a big deal because God is the one who's made us. Right back at the first chapter of the whole Bible as creation is, is explained, is presented, we read this in chapter 1, verse 27 of, of Genesis. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So humanity has dignity 
Because we are made in the image of God. Humanity has dignity because we're made in the image of God. And humanity is created to live in relationship. To live relationally. You can see that in the image of God, he created them. It's not speaking exclusively there about marriage, but it's about humanity being um, the plural and that we are created to live in relationship with each other, to share life. That's why this lockdown has been so weird. We've missed each other. and We've been longing to share time. We're looking forward to get out in the car park and, and talk together because we're made to relate to each other. It's been put right into the, the DNA of who we are as human beings, made in the image of God, plurality to relate to each other. And... We're made male and female, lovingly created male and female, knitted together in Psalm 139, deliberately by our creator, male and female. And so then in chapter 2 of Genesis, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So the intention of God in creation was that for those who get married, you don't become more human by being married. We're sharing life as humans together in society. But for those who do get married, God's intention was that they would leave their father and mother and be united to each other, becoming one flesh. And Jesus speaks about this in Matthew chapter 19. And he says this, look, what God has joined together in this mysterious and glorious way. Let humanity, let people not separate it. God has done this. Let's not separate it by our own um, initiative. And as humanity though rebelled against God, everything was breaking. And that's when it was that um, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, this instruction comes about, well, write a certificate of divorce so at least the woman isn't stoned the moment she walks out of the house to reduce the, uh, the abuse. And now and in Matthew 5 and Matthew 19, we find that this has continued, this abuse. And uh, so Jesus is speaking about it again. But God's intention is that when a man and woman come together in marriage, that they would stay together. And we might say, well, you know, what a ridiculous idea. We're living in the 21st century. But isn't it interesting that in Matthew 19, when Jesus first said this, that again, the disciples were saying, this is ridiculous. They didn't say this is the first century. They weren't counting it like that at that point. But uh, that is their kind of heart to what Jesus said. It's radical. It's beautiful. But again, some of us, here we are today. And you might say, well, Andy, if you knew my story and what I've been through, you know, to be honest, I can't wait to leave. I'm not going to stop to talk in the car park because, uh, you know, if you knew what I've been through, um, you wouldn't want to talk to me. Well, do you know, Jesus 
He was the one who came to those who knew they had a history that was broken. Jesus was the one who came to the person caught in adultery and, and spoke words of grace over that person and said to them to, to, to walk away, to be free, but to live different. And actually, all of us here, whether that is our story of divorce and remarriage, divorce, remarriage, or whether there's other things in our lives, none of us are standing in a right way before God. All of us need forgiveness. And I could tell you my story. Each of us could tell you our own story of how our lives are scarred and wrong. And sometimes people seem to point out one thing or another as though, well, that's bad and that's bad, but not as bad. But actually, the fact is all of humanity and every individual has a history that means we can't live up to the standard that would bring us into relationship with God. And that is the reason that Jesus came. You see, Jesus came and he took all the scarredness and all the brokenness and all the wrongness and all the guilt on himself as he died so that no man and no woman and no child would ever, if they chose to trust in him, would ever have to face the consequences of, of those things. And it's on that basis that any of us can come into the presence of God So creation, some of us are getting married soon and it's very exciting and we just wish you God's blessing. And, uh, but this is a call to those of us who are married to stay married. But it's not a condemnation for those who have been through terrible and heartbreaking things. It's instead a call for all of us to come to Jesus and to realize and to receive his cleaning and his freedom and his forgiveness and there's one more reason so we've thought about protection we've thought about creation and then there's this one revelation you know throughout the bible god uses the picture of marriage as the picture of what he wants to do for his people there's a beautiful story about this man who marries a woman who becomes a prostitute. You must say, that doesn't sound like a very good story, Andy. Well, then, though, this man who is a prophet, who's married this woman who becomes a prostitute, well, he then goes out and he finds her. And he humiliates himself as he finds her in the marketplace where she's for sale as a used up, broken creature. And he pays the money for her and he receives her back into his home. And, and it's a beautiful story of redemption and, and rescue. And threaded through the whole story, God is saying, look, this is how I feel about you. This is how I love you, my people. You've rebelled against me. You've gone against me. But I'm coming. I'm coming to the place of humiliation to rescue you, to draw you home again. Because that's what God's heart is like. And marriage is used as a vehicle, as a picture, as a revelation to show what God is like and how he loves his people. You might be sitting here this morning thinking, well, 
if that's what God is like, you know, perhaps even I could come to him. And that is the message that God wanted to bring through that whole real life drama that played out. And we could look all through the Bible and find again and again how marriage is a revelation of God's heart for his people. And even right at the end of of time, when all of history is wrapped up, humanity, the rescued humanity, those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, collectively, we are called the bride of Christ. And this church of ragged people that is worldwide from every tribe and language and people and nation throughout history, well, we are drawn in to the embrace of Jesus. And it is the end of history is pictured like a marriage feast. And you're there, not as some outsider watching on and celebrating, but actually we're there drawn into this intimate, glorious relationship with God himself that then unfolds for the the whole of eternity. You see, marriage is also a revelation, a picture of God's heart. That's why God cares about marriage. Well, we could talk for the next month about this theme and dive into different areas, and you might want to talk more in the car park. You want to pray, maybe, in the car park. Well, let's do that. But God cares about you. God cares about marriage. He cares about marriage because of the protection it brings. God cares about marriage and because of creation because of the way he's intended it to be. And God cares about marriage because it's a revelation of the biggest story of all. Well, let's just be quiet and then pray together and before we hand back to Rui to close. Lord Jesus, you can see our hearts this morning and the things that we have struggled with, perhaps even as we have been exploring this passage, and the things that have set our hearts on fire. We pray that by the work of your Holy Spirit, you would draw each of us into that relationship with you. Lord, thank you that you want to bring healing to the hurt of the past. Some things we wish we could go back and do differently, wish we could fix, wish we'd never done. Lord Jesus, you died to take away the power, the guilt, the weight of those things. We want to come to you and ask you for that cleaning and liberation. We want to come to you and ask you for the healing of our hearts because of that history. Lord, some of us, we've been challenged this morning. Perhaps we'd even been starting to draw up intentions of what we were going to do with our own marriage. And today, you've been challenging us and calling us. You've been showing us the dignity of this relationship, something that you have brought together. 
We pray for those who are married in our church family, those who are married, who are tuning in today. Lord, that you would bless these marriages, that you would help us to see the the glory and the dignity. Lord, that by the work of your spirit among us, you would allow these marriages to reflect something of your glory and your intention. And Lord, we thank you that there is this glorious purpose that you have for everyone, that you want to draw each of us to that place of trusting Jesus, that we would be forgiven and freed, that we would be filled by your spirit, that we would live in a dynamic, glorious relationship with you each day, and that we would look forward to that moment, that eternal time of that wedding celebration as we're drawn into relationship with you forever and with each other forever. So we commit each other into your hands this morning and we worship you, Lord Jesus. Amen.